Hello and welcome to episode 227 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan, as always, joined by Evan Silva. Fantasy drafts are on the horizon very shortly. It is time for us to finalize our plans from both a macro and micro perspective. For this, Evan and I are joined by the man, of course, with no soul. He has been working on the spreadsheets for your draft kit for the last six months, and therefore, it's translucent. It is Michael Leone. Michael, how's it going? It's going well. You know, I'm hoping once the season kicks off, I'll be able to get outside, get some color, but it might be too late at that point. <laughs> Evan, Evan, how's it going? Doing well. We just recorded a quarterback show. Uh, so check that out. Uh, looking at every level of the quarterback field this year. Um, but now we're going to talk about, you know, maybe the, the most important position in all of fantasy. And the most controversial, I mean, my God, yep. if you guys are on fantasy Twitter, the running back position has turned into a full-blown civil war in the fantasy community. We will touch on that as well. On today's show, as we mentioned, it is the second part of a four-part series. We're going to break down all things running back for the 2021 football season. Tiers, optimal strategy, guys we like, guys we don't, etc. Before we get into that, if you have a season-long fantasy draft coming up and you plan to play DFS, the best game, I highly recommend you get our bundle package. We'll cover everything you need from now until the Super Bowl, and it is our lowest possible price. Check it out on the subscribe page. Second, the underdog promo. They just launched the Puppy 3, I believe it is, $5. And I believe, Leone, is it 500K prize pool on $5, which is just absolutely outrageous. Regardless, it's absolutely massive, and you can get seven entries onto underdog for free if you make a $10 deposit. Just go to the underdog section on the homepage in the best ball tab. All right, let's get into it here, boys, with the running back position. There has been so much talk. I'm actually really sick of it. There has been so much talk about what the right strategy is at the running back position in fantasy, but it's actually gone mainstream at this point. Like it used to just be fantasy virgins who would argue about this running back stuff. Now, even like dudes in my home league are like, oh man, let's talk about the zero RB thing or, <laughs> or the dead zone and stuff like that. I mean, it's gotten that completely, completely out of control. Leone, without going too far into the weeds with all this fantasy virgin nonsense, can we talk about a macro strategy for you at the running back position specific to this year? Not always specific to this year. Yeah. Can I give a quick always spiel? What? Yeah. Well, here's why there's like the running back civil war. Running back, an elite running back season does more for your fantasy team's success than anything else. And the best way to get an elite running back season is to draft a running back early. The flip side to that is if you don't get that elite running back season, it's, you know, quietly hurts your fantasy team in a lot of ways because you're not as strong at receiver. You're not as strong in the flex. It's quietly replaceable or it's just an outright bust due to injury rates and the fact that the position is so volume dependent. So that's why you have these conflicting viewpoints because each side, so to speak, does have like a legitimate reason for why they do or don't draft running backs early. For me, I'm generally a pretty wide receiver, heavy drafter early. You know, every draft is different. You need to know your settings. If you're drafting in a half PPR league with two wide receiver, two running backs, one flex, you know, there's more leeway to get running back heavier earlier. If you're in a full PPR league with three wide receivers and one flex and only two running backs, 
you better start hitting your receivers because you want to beat people at wide receiver one, two, three. You want a wide receiver in the flex and beat them there and beat them all the way down the line. And then, you know, you can get lucky at running back later just by churning the waiver wire and paying attention and kind of just being a smart fantasy manager overall. Yeah. And I think those are great points. I think for me, typically running back in round one or round two makes sense. I think the difference this year, Evan, is beyond CMC and Dalvin Cook, we can poke major holes at almost every running back that goes in round one. You can go back and listen to our round one breakdown where Evan and I went player by player. And we talked about the downside case for a lot of these running backs that are going in round one. And one of the conclusions we came to, and I still believe, is that I have no problem going Kelsey or Devontae Adams or Ridley or Steph Diggs in round one over one of these running backs. But anyways, Evan, zooming out, how are you thinking about the running back position specific to this year? Yeah, and I mean, I think that you can even poke holes in Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey to some extent because Dalvin Cook has an injury history that dates back deep into his time at Florida State. And Christian McCaffrey has been injured quite a bit recently. Um, now, we're not into predicting injuries here. Uh, so, you know, we, we filter that out to some extent, but it's it just a testament to the fragility of the running back position in general. Um, I think that, you know, although it's not a, a sexy thing to say, it's not like a flashy thing to say, it's, it sounds kind of boring, but just knowing your league scoring and your league settings better than your opponents and knowing how to apply your league scoring and your league settings to your draft is actually the number one advantage uh, that you can have over your opponents in fantasy football. Uh, my, my favorite way to draft, generally speaking, and I, I, I really abide by the, you know, I, I'm going to make, you know, a list of or a, uh, top 20 rankings and sort of abide by those with my first two picks and then let that who I get with those first two picks determine how I'm going to approach the rest of my draft. My favorite way to draft is with the getting an, uh, an anchor running back in the first or second round, and then just filling up the rest of my draft with pass catchers and coming back maybe in the seventh or the eighth with like Raheem Mostert or even waiting, you know, to like Naheem Hines and sort of piecing together my RB2 slot and just making sure that I am loaded at, because I mean, I play in all, all PPR leagues and at very least half PPR, um, making sure that I have elite receivers for all of my starting slots and ideally one or two more. Um, and also an, an elite tight end or at least a tight end that I believe can score within the top six. Yeah. And I like that strategy as well. And when we talked about, it, you guys can go back and listen to the uh, podcast that Leone Jack and I did. I hope you all listened to that about what, how we think about drafting from certain positions I think the round two RBs this year are really interesting. And I want to focus on them for a second, Leone, because the draft can turn there. Because if you think, if you really like Mixon, Antonio Gibson, sometimes Eckler gets there. Najee is in the second round. Sometimes Saquon Barkley gets there. CEH is available in there. There are a lot of running backs with massive ceilings, I think, going in the second round. So how you view those running backs, I think is really important because if you don't want to start RBRB, which whatever, I have no, I have no problem starting RBRB. But if you don't want to start RBRB, you're missing out, and you take an RB in round one, you're missing out on I think really big ceilings in that round two guys. The floors are lower, but man, the ceilings on Ceh and Najee and Gibson and even Mixon I think are absolutely massive. Eckler too. So Leonie, what is your take on handling these round two RBs right now? Yeah, I think like like having a handle on what your league is going to do is really important because. 
as you mentioned, you can take Kelsey, Devontae Adams, Diggs in round one, but you kind of want to make sure one of these high upside round two running backs is going to make it back to you. I almost don't even care which one it is, as long as one of them is going to make it back to me. I think Antonio Gibson is the guy we focus on a lot as far as, you know, quote unquote, legendary upside Pat Crane, who, you know, used to do some stuff for us at ETR. Now NBC Sports Edge wrote a really good article about running backs having that elite running back season that again is more important than anything in fantasy and it's backs that are efficient and explosive and can make big plays we've seen that from antonio gibson you know in his first year at the nfl level we saw it in college if you just look at the number of touchdowns he scored relative to his touches it was insane the one thing we didn't see a ton of last year was him playing third downs him catching the ball but he was a receiver in college we know he can do that so if he adds that to his game if he's able to cut into jd mckissick's role over the course of the season or even take over it in addition to what he already did as two down back last year the upside's absolutely immense so i like gibbs in there Najee harris there's some questions about his explosiveness especially behind this pittsburgh steelers offensive line but he's going to see an absurd amount of volume for a young back he's going to play 90 percent plus of the snaps he's going to be there on all downs a lot of upside there. CEH playing with Patrick Mahomes and the highest projected scoring offense in the entire NFL, a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Again, that was a really important component of Crane's analysis. Guys that have the ability to catch the football, you know, they just have a higher ceiling. Um, it's just harder to manufacture that if you're not catching it a lot. So I like those guys. And then on the flip side, someone like Nick Chubb, who I do think is efficient, I do think is explosive, but He's a guy who's splitting carries and doesn't see a lot of targets. You know, that's tough. If Kareem Hunt gets hurt, maybe we see him have that huge upside. But without an injury, the path for him achieving this kind of legendary upside is a little bit tougher. So he's one of the guys I am fading in round two. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Najee stuff drives me crazy. I mean, the people are just nitpicking on talent and offensive line play. I mean, you know, I think they're nitpicking really hard. We know volume trumps everything at the running back position evan any takes on the round two guys how comfortable do you feel with them at this point because i do think it's a big turning point in the draft if you're big on mixon gibson eckler barkley ceh Najee, it's a big turning point in the draft yeah i mean these are just guys that you know i think that they all have a chance to finish as you know top eight fantasy running backs every, every single guy that uh, Leone just discussed and we're in lockstep on who these tier two running backs, these second round running backs should be. Um, but they all have pretty big holes that you can poke in them. And that's the, those are the reasons that they just have more holes than the guys in the first round. Jonathan Taylor is a guy that was going, you know, I, I would see him go like seventh overall uh, early in the process. And his ADP has come down a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if it's come down enough though. He's got the Naheem Hines, factor de uh, to deal with Marlon Mack, who was the Colts week one starter last year. He has returned um, the, you know, the injuries to Quentin Nelson and, and, and Carson Wentz, how much of those are those going to affect him? And the Colts start out with a really, really difficult schedule to the extent that they could start out like one and four, Oh, and five. And he is one of the running backs that is most game script dependent because he doesn't have a locked in passing game role. Um, you know, I don't know. We, I think Leone did a good job of, of covering all the other guys, but yeah. Jonathan Taylor, I think has become a really interesting guy to talk about at, at this stage. There's like so many guys too. And again, this is kind of why it's important to know what your league mates are going to do, but we love Aaron Jones. You know, we think he could be a top five back at the end of round one. 
Saquon, if he falls because people are like overly scared by injury, that's fine. Well, you know, he'll get worked in to start the year. He's one of the few guys that has this absurd combination of, you know, freak athleticism and uh, the, the best role possible in terms of getting that diversified workload at the goal line in between the twenties in the passing game. We didn't mention Joe Mixon, who now Giovanni Bernard's gone, and he's probably going to play more passing downs than he did in the past. He's kind of like poor man's Ezekiel Elliott to me. So I was not arguing, but I was talking going back and forth with Drew because he's very on Antonio Gibson, who I mentioned that I like. But I was like, well, there, you know, there are some like downside risks. And at the end of the day, these guys all rank similarly. I think you can go any of them in round two. You know, you don't want to be a ranking slave too much here, where if you have a feeling on one of these guys, you could go for it. Just kind of yeah. understand you're really aiming for ceiling with this pick. Okay. More importantly, I think is this whole idea of the RB dead zone and what goes on in the middle rounds. And this is something I've been doing for years is trying to avoid this middle of the draft at the running back position. You know, Laren Fournette was a good example last year. I mean, he ended up getting cut, but guys whose volume, the public assumes their volume is more stable than it actually is. And the only reason they're fantasy assets is because of their volume. I think there are some exceptions this year, which we'll get to. But my strategy is not to take running backs in the middle rounds. I'm out on Chris Carson. I'm out on David Montgomery. I'm out on Mike Davis. I know some of you guys disagree. I think Evan and Leone disagree with some of these. But again, Carson, Montgomery, Mike Davis, Kareem Hunt, Josh Jacobs, Miles Gaskin, Chase Edmonds, all these guys, I think that people are projecting volume that is more fragile than they realize. And so I'm taking wide receiver in this range where guys aren't going to lose their role. And even quarterback, if you go back and listen to the quarterback episode, I talked about how I'm fine taking quarterback in round five, round six this year, where I haven't in the past because of the separation there. I think Pitts is okay if it's in the right spot. I think Evan likes Mark Andrews. So like all these guys to me are better picks than the running backs in this round three to round six or so. Evan, I know we've talked about this a lot. I think you like Carson more than me. I think Leone likes Mike Davis more than me. But generally speaking, how are you thinking about these middle rounds and the running back spots? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'm willing to take any of these guys if they just fall past their ADP. You know, if, if they fall into my lap, then I'm willing to take any. The, the guy that I've really warmed up to over the past couple of weeks is Daryl Henderson, because mm -hmm. the indications are that the Rams truly are committed to him. Um, they, I think that they still will add a back, but I'm, I'm really, you know, I've warmed to the, to the notion that they're probably not going to get a very good back. They've been giving Xavier Jones actually, you know, sprinkling him in with the first team. And I think they're feeling good about him as the number two back at this point. Daryl Henderson is going to be running behind a pretty good offensive line in a bankable offense with the arrow pointing up after the addition of Matthew Stafford. He can, he's very competent in the passing game. I don't think that they're going to rely on him to be, you know, like with Cam Akers, they would have no problem giving him 25 carries in a game. I don't think they're going to do that with Daryl Henderson, but I think that they will. Um, but he, I think he's going to be efficient. Uh, based on the offensive environment. So he has really moved up. I opened right after Cam Akers got hurt. I opened with him as like RB25. He's up to RB17 uh, in my rankings. Um, but yeah, I mean, any of these, and, and I've started to get him in drafts. Like, I think where he goes, he's pretty affordable. You know, listening to Ben Gretsch and, um, and, uh, and Leone's show, you know, Leone was like, man, I think he should be like almost a fringe second or third rounder, or at very least a third rounder. And I mean, you can kind of consistently get him at the end of the fourth, if not the fifth. So uh, he, he's been somebody that I really had my eye on at this point. If Cam Akers was just never existed, 
Daryl Henderson's ADP would be in like the second round. But because Cam Akers was the quote unquote guy and then he got hurt and people view Daryl Henderson as this like dusty backup or whatever they think or they're anchored to their priors on, on Daryl Henderson or whatever, you can get him in the fourth or the fifth. My, those were, that was one of my exceptions. I have three exceptions in the dead zone, Leone. My three ex- exceptions that I like are Daryl Henderson, who I've been taking a ton of, Miles Sanders when he gets to the fifth round, and Travis Etienne, who just fits the profile of the kind of back who I want to have. I know some people think DeAndre Swift is also an exception in the dead zone. I'm okay with that. Not as much, though, because he relatively goes in round three. Leone, what are you thinking about the middle rounds, how it pertains to running back this year? Yeah, I think... You know, we just recorded the quarterback show before this, and we're kind of like, you know, the skeleton key there in, in home leagues is Trey Lance and Justin Fields going way too cheap. For running back, it is Daryl Henderson. If you can get Daryl Henderson round four, even early round five, I mean, you can almost bank on him as your one early running back and, and just be absolutely loaded at receiver outside of that. I think the upside's massive there. That's a huge swing. Uh, you mentioned Swift. So the idea with Swift is he has the traits that we want in a running back. You know, he's very athletic. He's really explosive in the receiving game. You know, he had success as a goal linebacker last year towards the end of the year that if we were to kind of zoom out and not worry as much about the systemic risks of how bad Detroit's going to be, he might fit. I'm with you though, where he still just goes in a tough spot, you know, where Amari Cooper, CD lamb, Robert Woods, Cooper cup, like these receivers you really want go. I I'd still like him to probably fall and to Evan's point, most of these guys I'm probably not taking unless they come at, at an ADP discount. But Henderson is the one that I will take ahead of ADP. Uh, I think we're united on that. J.K. Dobbins is someone we haven't talked about yet who I'm avoiding. He's kind of in between round two and three. He's I did a, a busts video earlier in the year. I call him a silent killer where he's going to be fine. He's going to put up rushing yards. He's going to put up rushing touchdowns. He's going to be like, like the end of year if your team's bad with J.K. Dobbins, you're going to not think it's because of Dobbins. It's just the opportunity cost is too high. He's not going to have one of those elite running back ceiling performances because they're going to split carries. He's not going to catch the ball a ton. So I'm out on him. Um, and then as far as guys like Kareem Hunt, Mike Davis, as you move down, I do like Mike Davis a little more than you, but part of it's just pushback. He's become kind of the face of like the RB dead zone. You can't draft guys like this. And I do think he's pretty well suited for the high value touches that we care about where he's going to catch the ball a lot. And what I think is going to be very pass happy offense in Atlanta. I think he's going to get the goal line carries. So I don't need him to get 20 plus touches, right? Like that is fringy. He's probably not going to be this huge workhorse. A lot of people think, but if I get in PPR leagues, a lot of receptions, a lot of goal line touches, I'm fine taking him, but even still, casual league ADP is too high on him. You know, he's going in the first five rounds. I want him in round six, maybe round seven, because I really want, honestly, by round eight, I want like six wide receivers on my team, maybe five, you know, depending on your format, if it's a two or three wide receivers start league. Yeah. And to agree with Leone on Mike Davis, I mean, just look at the backs that are in the backfield in Atlanta behind him. I mean, we're talking about Quadri Allison locked in as the Falcons' number two running back. This guy has been in the league for multiple years and done nothing, a plotting fifth round, you know, former fifth round pick. Um, I mean, can't play. You know, they, people were talking about this Javian Hawkins guy, undrafted free agent, uh, rookie who's like 184 pounds as, as potentially being, you know, one of their one of their key backups behind Mike Davis. We're bringing in Arthur Smith, and I think that he's going to help make the offense a lot more efficient. They're going to do smart things offensively. And I think that Mike Davis has 60 catches, if not 70, in his range of potential outcomes. 
Mm-hmm. So um, again, he is one of these running backs that I'm probably not going to take at his ADP, but if he falls a little bit, um, then I'll definitely take him as my RB2, if, if not RB3. I mean, he, he's going late enough that in some drafts you could get him as your RB3. Yeah. Go ahead, Leone. The, the other thing to be aware of in this range is if you're in a home league, you know, typically six out of 12 teams or something make the playoffs. If a lot of, you know, your league makes the playoffs, these guys that have a lot of value come draft day because we're projecting them for early season volume it's not going to happen at the end of the year. We care more about monster teams. Like you're probably sharper than your league mates. You can survive some Naheem Hines scores in your RB2 spot for a while. So I'm more likely to take, you know, a Travis Etienne who could just be like a huge home run smash by the end of the year, come playoff time than a Josh Jacobs who might, you know, filter out, for example, especially at cost, you know, Javante Williams, I'd rather have, than Miles Gaskin, where maybe Miles Gaskin seeds work to Salvin Ahmed and Malcolm Brown over the course of the season. And Javante might have a rough start, but he overtakes Melvin Gordon by the end of the year. It's a smash. So like really focusing on the younger players, the guys that can crush at the end of the year and won't lose volume is important. And ultimately, I think uh, I'm in a Miles Sanders, like you said, too left. I don't like do not understand how he became, you know, a fourth, fifth round pick. I don't think that much has changed from last year. But in general, though, I think a lot of these guys on the surface feel a lot safer than the rounds eight plus running backs. But in actuality, they're not that much yeah. safer, which is why, hey, just take more receivers and load up there. Yep, exactly. And okay, so we get to this point in the draft now where we're into round seven, we're into round eight. We might only have one or two running backs one thing we've done on etr in the draft kit is published a list of our favorite late round running back targets you can view that on the site now round by round running backs who we think we like if you are thin there i am fine waiting for javante williams as leone said trey sermon aj Dillon, michael carter james connor all these guys are available in rounds 9 10 or 11 and as leone said i don't think they're that different than some of the guys going around four five, six, particularly at the end of the year with Javante and Sermon and maybe even Dylan, like roles are going to grow for young players as the year moves along. So I really like that round nine, 10, 11 range. I think you can get by with standalone value with upside for a lot more on these guys. Evan, we talked about Michael Carter of Trey Sermon a bunch yesterday. Javante Williams, I think he recently moved up in your rankings, by the way, Evan's latest ranking sweep is up. James Conner, I think, is going to have the goal line role, undoubtedly, as the 1B for the Cardinals. So all these guys I like if you need running back in round 9, 10, 11. What do you think about this range? Yeah, just moved up Javante Williams. You know, there was, when when all that buzz kind of came out that Melvin Gordon was like the locked-in Broncos number one running back, I, I moved Javante Williams down. I just moved him right back up. I think he's at RB23 right now. Melvin Gordon has been dealing with a groin injury, although he did return to practice today. Uh, but Mike Boone is out indefinitely uh, after uh, uh, with a serious quad injury. So that narrows the backfield down to two. Um, and I think that that Melvin Gordon is, is pretty surmountable for Javante Williams. By the way, the coaching staff loves Javante Williams. Pat Shermer has come out and talked about how Javante Williams is just a dude that gets it, that he's been really good in in blitz protection. And then in the first preseason game, he came out, he was just breaking tackles at will. And Vic Fangio came out and talked about how, you know, he was like, we, we, you know, that's all we needed to see from that guy. Like the the guy was like 
he was one of the best uh, tackle breakers in NCAA last year, and he gets right in there, and that skill that skill translates immediately. Um, so I, I'm I'm excited about him. I do think he's going to open the season in a rotation, but as the season progresses, he's going to be harder and harder for them to take off the field. Uh, Raheem Mostert is a guy that the 49ers kept on ice in week one of the preseason. They played Trey Sermon a ton. I, I love Trey Sermon. I have Trey Sermon ahead of Raheem Mostert. But I think that Raheem Mostert, because of all the buzz that Trey Sermon has generated, uh, has reached the point of being undervalued and is one of those running backs that you could get in the seventh or eighth round as your RB2, and you could be fine, you know, until maybe you find a better option on the waiver wire where, hey, you know, if Trey Sermon goes down, all of a sudden Raheem Mostert goes from a guy getting 10 to 12 touches per game to maybe 14 to 17 in a Kyle Shanahan offense, and he's wrecking. So he he's become one of my favorite later round running backs, Raheem Mostert. Yeah. And Leonie, I was going to ask about sleepers, but I think this range is actually where I would cut it off for like home league type formats, because I think in your home league, like Michael Carter and AJ Dillon and guys like this and James Conner, like they're not going to go high. You know what I mean? You're not going to have to spend a lot yeah. of draft capital to get these guys. So I don't want to go too, too deep at, at running back. We do have some good options in tougher formats, I think, with the guys like Drew Bernard and Rashad Penny. But I don't think that's necessary in home leagues to rely on guys like that. What do you think about this? round nine, 10, 11 range and any other sleepers you want to mention at running back? Yeah. I mean, and just starting with what you said that it's not hard to get these guys at this point is really critical to what you do earlier in the draft and why you need to not load up on running back. Maybe you take one early, maybe you take two, but don't take more than that because you can get these guys here. And then that lets you build that monster team with just awesome wide receivers. Maybe you take a detour for a onesie position, go elite tight end or elite quarterback. But I just did a draft where I was very wide receiver heavy early. And then at the eight, nine turn, I took AJ Dillon and Zach Moss. I like those two quite a bit where they're both on good offenses that are going to score a bunch. AJ Dillon, I think has standalone value as a really efficient rusher. You know, they're not going to give 90% of the touches to Aaron Jones as much as we would like to see that. So I think that he's going to have some touchdown upside. And then if anything happens to Aaron Jones, you know, the upsides through the roof. And I really like these guys that have that combination of standalone value plus some elite upside. So Zach Moss upside's not as high as AJ Dillon. So I'm a little bit behind, but similar thing where I think he's got the goal line role locked up for Buffalo there. And if anything happens to Devin Singletary, all of a sudden we get a lot of touches to Zach Moss. But if I'm really swinging for the fences and one of the cool things we did in this late round running back targets articles, we gave blurbs. So you know what kind of bet you're making, because depending on how you've constructed, you might want to save for a guy that's just going to get you points. That's Naheem Hines. You know, I think Naheem Hines is going to have a really solid role in the passing game. And he still does have some upside, but if you're really just swinging for the fences you know, take a guy like Tony Pollard, where if anything happens to Zeke, all of a sudden you've got a top five back. So just kind of managing the running backs you have here late, you kind of want a mixture of guys that are a little safer who you can plug and play. So you don't bleed points at the position, but you also want to stash guys that have just this elite league winning upside where if you hit on them, you've just absolutely destroyed the competition, especially if you've only taken like one running back early and you hit on Dylan or Pollard in a big way, because then you're just boosting that RB2 mm -hmm. score so much. Whereas if you've drafted super running back heavy early, it's still a big win, but you might have you know more trouble figuring out where to put them in your starting lineup. 
And I yeah. wanted to add to the back end of that list, and I know, Adam, you, you didn't want to get, get too, too deep here for the home leagues, but Darrington Evans, I still think, is draftable, like with one of your last picks, even in a home league. Um, he was a guy that the Titans drafted in the third round last year. Uh, he is an explosive dude. He was hurt a lot as a rookie, um, but he's healthy now. And in the Titans' first preseason game with Derrick Henry resting, it was all Der uh, Darrington Evans early in the game, like almost operating as an every down back. Uh, and it's, it's clear that he is ahead of um, uh, Jeremy McNichols and Brian Hill in the packing order. If something were to happen to Derrick Henry, who, by the way, you know, has led the NFL in carries in each of the last two seasons, um, I think that the entire complexion of the Titans offense would change. They would become much more pass heavy. You know, they've got three receivers that they can trot out with confidence, I think, in Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Justin Reynolds. Uh, uh, and um, and, and their, their O.C., Todd Downing, uh, when he was the O.C. for the Raiders, uh, his offense that year in 2017 finished 30th in rushing attempts. So the, I think the entire complexion of the offense would immediately mm -hmm. change if Derrick Henry were to get hurt. And all of a sudden, Darrington Evans would be, you know, like a 50-catch guy potentially. Uh the thing about that is uh, it's impossible for Derrick Henry to get hurt because he's actually broken the PSM. He, he's actually uh, uh, broken. Never been hurt in his life. I know. He's, yeah, he's not getting hurt. Famous last words. Um, I would throw one more name in there for really deep league people. I think Damian Williams is interesting. Yes. I think this, this Tariq Cohen situation is bad, man. And so Damian Williams' talent level is way better than people think. Had a year off to rest his body and get it right. I think he can get like 20, 25% of the RB touches out of the gate. And then also uh, obviously go completely nuclear or be really good if something happened to David Montgomery. So I'd throw that one out there as well. I was gonna ask about bust, but I feel like we've covered a lot already. Chubb and the dead zone guys that I mentioned and Dobbins, any other busts you want to mention? Leone, it's okay if not, we've kind of covered most of them, I think. Uh, I think those are the minor ones. I'm a little weary of David Montgomery, but you know, there's some more outs there with what you just mentioned with Tariq Cohen, where, you know, now all of a sudden both Montgomery and Damian look a little bit better. So I think, I think that's pretty much it for me uh, as the two guys that I'm most avoiding at ADP are probably going to be Chubb and, and Dobbins more so Dobbins. Like if Chubb fell all the way to round two and it was like the last of the tier, I, I would take him if I didn't have a running back. Also throw Josh Jacobs, I think in casual league ADP, you know, he's really starting to get up closer to RB 17. We have him right now at fantasy pros. It's a third round ADP. That's really, really rich for me for a back that is mostly a two down back. Oh, and that's a brutal ADP. Yeah. I, mean, I think the I mean, offense is going to regress here from last year too. So I think like last year was almost your best case scenario. Like that's your absolute ceiling. And there's so much risk then. You know, if that's your ceiling, that you're, there's so much risk. So I, I'll throw Josh Jacobs in the bust, oh, yeah. you know, category. Yeah. I mean, Josh Jacobs goes in like the sixth or seventh round now on underdog. Please be aware that when you go and play your home league, the ADPs are not going to be like they are on underdog by any stretch. Evan, any bust you want to mention that we haven't hit on yet? Well, I think that Miles Gaskin is interesting to talk about just because last year, you know, he played in 10 games. In those 10 games, he was the overall PPR RB8. In, in, uh, in points per reception scoring. So he's, he was, and he was entering training camp. I mean, it, it felt like he was in pretty good shape. The Dolphins additions amounted to Malcolm Brown on a one-year $1.75 million deal and Jared Dokes late in the seventh round. I mean, that's pretty much all they added. They were bringing back Salvin Ahmed, but 
know, he's, he's, you know, on the fringe of really being an NFL player and Miles Gaskin goes in the first preseason game and Malcolm Brown is playing well ahead of him. So I don't know. I feel like those roles could reverse easily in, in the second preseason game, but all of a sudden he looks like he's on the ropes and at very least, you know, this is going to be a committee of so, some sort. Salvin Ahmed is a good little change of pace back. Malcolm Brown coaches love this guy. And all of a sudden, you know, this could be maybe even a three-way RBBC. Last year, he was like an every down back when he was yeah. in there. It, it just gets back to the point of assumption of projectable volume that is more fragile than people realize. And that's kind of the theme here that I think is a big edge over our casual, our boys from college who we are going to really destroy this year in fantasy football, of course. All right, that's going to do it for the running back positional breakdown. We'll be back with wide receiver. We'll be back with tight end later in the week. For producer Luke, for Leone, for Silva, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.